This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Oli Tikkanen. Welcome, everyone. Before introducing guest of today's episode, I would like to know just few things. Physical Activity Researcher podcast is committed to promoting equality and diversity in all its activities, including selection of guests. We have limited resources to scout all great researchers from different groups of people, so if you know someone who should be as a guest in the podcast, Please ask this individual to contact us directly. As another thing, I would like to ask for your help. Being able to deliver this podcast to you, my audience, is based on how many people find, start to listen and follow this podcast. So I would really appreciate little help promoting this podcast. You can do this by subscribing, following the podcast on Twitter retweeting tweets sometimes, and maybe even giving a good rating if you liked an episode. And now it is time for the actual show and introduction of our great guest of today's episode. She holds a bachelor degree in psychology from Universidad Mayor de San Andres in Bolivia and master's degree in applied and effective psychology from University of Geneva. Currently, she is PhD student in psychology and behavior change in University Grenoble Alps. Her research examines psychological and contextual factors that determine commuting behavior. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our guest Claudia Teran. Welcome, Claudia. Hello, Oli. Uh, thank you very much for having me here uh, with you. No, it's it's nice that you can take the take the time. So, so you are in in France and you have had quite a long lockdown. How how is life now in in France? So we have been locked down like two months, but at the same time, at least it was interesting because even if we couldn't go outside and do our lives, we could go outside for doing physical activity. So I think that that was something really interesting that French government decided that uh, a really good excuse, or we, we will say, or a, good, a really good reason to go out was for doing physical activity. But it was just like one kilometer around our homes and just for one hour per day. But at least we could go out and run or take a walk. Mm. Yeah, it, it has really highlighted the importance of physical activity that, that has been the the only reason almost that you're allowed to go out and i i understood that you have been doing some some data collection about physical activity to during the pandemic so could you tell more about this project yeah so we were trying to see if there were any limitations or any barriers or at the same time any levers to people doing physical activity now during uh, coronavirus 
and uh, we are now analyzing our results. And it was interesting to, for, for example, see with we had uh, 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 at least 400 people answering our questions. And for example, the people with more children, they had one time more uh, less time for doing physical activity. Or the people living in smaller apartments, because you know in France there there's some people that like that live in a nine meter in just nine square meters or little apartments. The, these people was the people that was not doing physical activity. So it was interesting to see also the contextual limits and barriers to doing physical activity during coronavirus. Mm. So did I understood right that uh, the people who are living in the small apartment were not doing physical activity outside? Well, yes. So they were doing in general less physical activity than people living in uh, bigger places. Mm, yeah. And do you think the difference is, is just that people in a higher socioeconomic situation usually do more because you could... You could think that people who are in a very small apartment that they would really like to go out, and if the physical activity is the only reason that you can go out, they would they would do that. What do you think is the is the reason? I think there are many reasons that we are now trying to research a little bit more. Like, uh, for example, in general, people living in this kind of apartments live in dangerous neighborhoods where you don't really want to go outside for running. <laughs> It's not like a, a good idea, but at the same time, it will it, it will it could be possible that this is the same people that have a lot of children, so they can't really can't uh, take time some time for them because they are taking care of their children. So it is, I think, really important to consider each reality and understand that we have like motivational barriers because maybe we don't want to do physical physical activity, but we can have like real physical or environmental limits to our physical activity. Mm, yeah, that, that makes all the sense. So did you collect the data only from your region or the whole France or how was the how was the region? We tried to have a French population, so we sent the, the questions everywhere. Uh, clearly it was easier to have information from this region, but we, we can compare the information with people living in Paris or in Granist which was one of the most affected zones of coronavirus. Mm. And and probably you you made the study design quite quickly when this all started without any any notice in a way. How was the practicalities? How did you came up with the questionnaire? How did you distribute it? And how, how did you manage the whole process to collect the data really fast? So already we could, uh, I, I had a lot of support of my uh, laboratory because it was a, a project shared between six, seven people. And we need to work uh, really fast because we didn't know at the beginning how long was going to be the lockdown. And uh, it, it was a good time because it's, it's obvious it's a hard time, but it's at the same time an extraordinary time for understanding people's behavior. So we we worked really quickly, like choosing the questionnaires and also knowing the limits because obviously we couldn't give the people accelerometers or any objective measure of physical activity. Everything is self-reported. And so we, we worked together, we choose the questions and we, we did the questions online and we tried to send it to all of our colleagues working around in France. 
and uh, we we have a great response. I, I think that uh, it, it's really it's really nice to have more than hundred uh, four hundred people that answer our questions. But it's uh, yeah, it was really fast, and we needed to hurry up. Mm, yeah, I, I can really see the difficulty in there. So you said that you send it to your colleagues, and how did the colleagues then distribute it? That you actually got people in different socioeconomic situations. How did you manage to do that? We use a lot of our social networks like Facebook, uh, Twitter. And uh, it, it, it worked because uh, we have many friends of friends sharing it in different places in France, send them to their families or their friends living in other different uh, regions. And it was uh, mostly did it by using uh, social networks. Mm, yeah, that's that's very good. And and you were also asking about stress and well-being. Have you have you already looked at the results? I think it's very interesting. Like you had two months lockdown so how was the well-being with people so um the, this is the second study so we we were interested in, to see where uh, if there were any effects of people doing physical activity and uh, how this could affect maybe improve people well-beings uh, I couldn't really start explore I, I didn't explore yet the the data because I'm working on the other study so when I will have the results, I will be really happy to share it with you and with everyone. Mm, yeah, that, that will be interesting. So do you have same participants filling the both questionnaires, the physical activity ones and the stress and well-being, or do you have different participants? We have different participants. So we have um, 400 for the first study about physical activity and barriers and motivational levels of physical activity. And for the second one, we have around 300 people. These these are not the same people. Hmm. And do you do you plan to collect data from the same participant now after the lockdowns have or the restrictions have been? relieved or or was it just like one one time point that you plan to have so we will we have been collecting data each week for uh, some participants for the first study about uh, uh, physical activity so some people agreed to be contacted once per week and the idea was that each week after week we will compare how the uh, physical activity evolves and uh, the, the same idea, we will ask again them to answer uh, our question after lockdown, after the lockdown, and one month after the lockdown, the, the, fin the, the end of the lockdown. It's the same for the other study. We will ask them again uh, the questions like uh, next week and in two months. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's very good good project. I think there's I have seen some some messages in Twitter and different channels that, for example, they are doing similar things in UK and in Finland, probably collecting little bit different data. And I think there's one one organized which is a little bit more international that they try to collect data. Um, uh, would you like to collaborate with? different countries if they are going if they are in the pandemic a little bit later that they they are doing lockdown are you are you interested to do the same questionnaires in different countries yes of course we'd be really interesting to compare because already for cultural reasons i think that each country is different uh, political reasons the same not all the lockdowns were the same 
you know, all the lockdowns, like for example, in France, uh, we were supposed to be at home and we could go outside for doing physical activity. So it could be interesting to collaborate with other researchers and to understand uh, that they, they, it might be different reasons for uh, doing physical activity in France or in other countries. Mm, yeah, so if anyone's listening and, and your country is going into lockdown a bit later, you can be in contact with Claudia and, and you can see if you could, could collaborate. Um, I think in France, the lockdown has been one of the, the most intensive. And how, how, how was it for you personally to stay two months mainly, mainly at home? Uh, so I am at least I'm a little bit lucky because I have a, a, an apartment, but I have a, a garden, a shared garden uh, that I share with other apartments. So I could at least go there. But uh, it was it, it it's been hard because uh, it's clear that it's not the same not to go out and enjoy because it was really sunny and really nice this uh, last month. And uh, I think that it, it has been hard for me. I can't imagine for people living in small places without sound, without any any uh, green places around. And at the same time, it was, uh, yeah, yeah, I think it was stressful and it was hard, but at least uh, I I kept uh, I kept my way. I, I work a lot. I think that that helped me the most, that working on these pro- two projects helped me a lot for being, for, for feeling myself useful and feeling myself that I was doing something. Yeah, I, I I can really believe that it has been been challenging for people in a small apartments and and in different different conti- conditions. This podcast is sponsored by Fibian, a research device that has been shown to be valid in tracking sitting, standing, physical activity, and energy expenditure. Furthermore, Fibian has been shown to be valid categorizing physical activity into light moderate and vigorous intensity. In addition to scientific accuracy, Fibian provides automatically produced and easy to understand reports for research participants. Get scientific validation and learn more about Fibian at fibian.com/research. So, so if we move to another topic your your PhD study which is about sustainable mobility, could you tell more about that project? Yeah. So uh, I'm doing my PhD in a collaboration with other laboratories. So one part of my PhD will include all of psychological part, and the other part will be the geographic. I'm not a geographer, I'm a psychologist, but I'm learning a lot about geography. And the idea is to understand uh, which are the barriers and which are the levers to mobility change. We would like to promote uh, sustainable mobility using the bike, walking, or using public transport. And we would like to help the people that are used to use their car all the time to change their mobility. But at the same time, we would like to understand why the people, why these people have some problems, have, could have problems to change mobility. If it's just motivational, or maybe there is, if there exist any real objective constraints to changing mobility. Mm. And and what kind of obstacles you have found? What are the main main obstacles being being using active or sustainable commute? So already, what we need to understand that we have a really strong of uh, part of urban urban environments, 
like maybe in your city or where do you where you live you don't have a transportation that is safe or accessible you don't have bicycle lanes so you have uh, concrete and objective constraints to, to your mobility or maybe your neighborhood is not walkable or maybe the topography of the bill makes complicated to take your bike you have economical factors like uh, uh, use the car has a price you need to pay for fuel the same for using the train or using the public transport and at the end you have personal factors so we have the motivation the habits the knowledge the attitudes or even the self-efficacy but we also have family commitments if for example you are a mom and you, you have three children and your three children uh, have the, their school really far one from another it will be easier to take your car to take each one of your children or at the same time, if you live really, really far from your work because you, your husband needed to work uh, not, uh, near from your house, you will prefer to take your car to go to your to your work. Uh, also, if you need, if you do a lot of trip trainings, like for example, you start going to your work and then you go to do your um, your shopping and then, then you need to go and search uh, and take your child and then you need to go to other place so more uh, trajects you need to do more uh, more you need to change of places it will be easier to take your car mm. so so quite many obstacles ranging from personal factors to different infrastructure things uh it sounds challenging there's a lot of obstacles how do you how do you think you will you will succeed in this kind of task so when we have plans is to do a randomized control trial and we have two groups a first one that will have a normal let's say uh, uh, intervention talking about the air pollution the consequences of using car all the time for the environment or for the health so they will discuss about that and for the other group, we are proposing uh, free access to transport or to bikes. So during six months, uh, this uh, this group will have uh, absolutely uh, completely access to bikes or to public transport in the city in Grenoble. And at the same time, we will help the motivational part. We will we will help these people planifying how, when, and how they are going to change their mobility. We are going to uh, to try to. Uh, to have concrete objectives for these people and they are going to planify, they are going to try to start their process of changing. So at, at, at this level, we will see if this already works We're using this randomized control trial and we will see if there were any uh, other constraints that uh, that didn't allow these people to change. Like I mentioned before, maybe they, they, live, they live really far from their work, so they have too many children, so we could measure also if there are any objective constraints around their, their change. Mm. And and what is the the stage of the study now? Where you are at at this in in this randomized control trial? Uh, so we are um, we have a little bit of delay because of the situation, but we are starting our pilot study because already uh, already we need to we will use a lot of equipment for this uh, for these studies. Like for example, the people will carry. Uh, air pollution detectors and uh, accelerometers. That's how we are going to measure their physical activity during transport and their ex pollution exposition uh, during their transport. So we also we needed to buy that. 
we needed to we need to understand if it's possible to for people to carry all of this equipment and that's why we are doing our pilot next uh, october it will take three months well, we are doing a three month uh, pilot study and the idea is to start uh, the the whole project uh, in next uh, january and follow the people during two years Hmm. Yeah, so they will actually wear accelerometers and air pollution meters. How how is the air pollution meter? How I I haven't seen it. So what kind of device? How how big is it? And how how expensive those are? So we it's called air pollution captor. It's like a little box. I can tell like twenty centimeters and well twenty twenty like a little box. The problem is that you have something. Um, going out from it i don't know how to say it in english like uh sorry for this but yeah no problem at all uh like a bulb all right yeah uh go well like uh uh no it's not the word uh a straw So yeah. you have a straw going out from this uh, equipment, and the idea is that the straw it will um, capt- uh, capture all the all the pollution, all all the dust around you every minute, and we will know that at at 10 uh, a.m. you were uh, you were around uh, you had around this quantity of pollution around you. So um, yeah. the problem is that you need to take care of the straw because if your hair goes inside, it will not help. And uh, mm. you need to carry this all day long. So if you go to different places, you need to have it into a bag or something. Yeah, yeah, sounds like an interesting approach to actually have the air pollution meters. And do you plan to give feedback to people about this data that they would actually kind of be encouraged to be less in the polluted environment? So how do you plan to use the data? So they will, will uh, we will use it first for seeing if you, people using uh, uh, public transport or biking, uh, they ha- they are less exposed to air pollution, and the idea is to give them. It's really it's really long to analyze this data, so we we will promise them that to give them a feedback, but it will take uh, one year or two more. But the idea is to give them, it, and it, maybe that will be a good reason for staying in our study. Because they know if they stay, they will receive. They will because they they will have a rap, a report about how exposed they are to to air pollution. Mm. And and how is the pollution in that area of France? What kind of results you get get in in normal normal days of pollution? So it's a real. It's a quite a polluted uh, city. It's not as polluted as Paris, but it's, uh, you know, um, the uh, World Health Organization recommends just 10 micrograms of uh, air pollution exposition. And we are in 16 here. So we are uh, a little bit uh, high. So we are exposed to more pollution than we are supposed to be. So the pollution is uh, important here in Grenoble. And one of the main reasons is the topography of Grenoble, but because we live like in a, uh, it, we are around, we have mountains around, so sometimes the the pollution gets just stuck and it doesn't move, it, uh, like in other cities. So we are quite exposed to to air pollution here in Grenoble. 
Mm, yeah, I'm I'm now now living in Finland and, and actually at the moment I'm almost middle of forest so we don't have that problem but I have been living in in Beijing and Shanghai and especially Beijing because it has the mountains around so it gets really 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 bad I think it's probably at least 10 times more than Paris many times but but yeah there there it is it is quite horrible and you said that they are wearing an accelerometer which kind of accelerometer you plan to use uh, we will use a SESDOC uh, it's a Canadian accelerometer because it allows us to have GPS data and accelerometer at the same time so they don't need to use the different equipment they just need to use a SESDOC and it was because at the same time we need GPS data for understanding their mobility it was a good idea to take a uh, just one tool for measuring bo- uh, both accelerometry, uh, accelerometry and at the same time GPS. Yeah, I think in your case the GPS is important and, and I'm not familiar with this device. Is it is it wrist-worn or where do you actually wear it? No, it's like, uh, no, you need to put it around. You, you can put it everywhere. You imagine It's just to use it around the, uh, the waist. Yeah, so... So is it collecting raw accelerometer data or what kind of uh, thing it's it's recording? Uh sorry, broad. So uh is it is it measuring raw acceleration or what kind of data is it recording in the memory, do you know? Uh not I'm not really sure. I just it's a triaxial uh accelerometer. So I mm. I know it measures three three uh, not dimensions or axis. Yeah, yeah. All right, that's that's good. And and then in the study, you are also looking like we were looking the obstacles, but you are also looking the levers for for sustainable mobility. What kind of levers there are are for this? Well, we were thinking already about motivation. But for example, if you really like and enjoy doing a bike. It's really possible that you, if you need to change of mobility, you will choose bike because you already have this pleasure of taking your bike, so like self determination theory of uh, of physical activity. Uh, we can see maybe uh, self efficacy because, for example, at the same time it could be a lever, it can be a, a problem. For example, myself, it has been 15 years that I don't use a bike. So uh, it will not be the first mode of transport that I will choose. I will need to train myself before going to the city in bike. But I think that there is people that have a lot of self-efficacy. They need how to use a bike and they could, it, they could do it easily. And maybe they didn't think about before, but it could be our, our intervention could be a nice opportunity for people to, to adopt a bicycle, for example, for going to their wars or to other places. Mm. And and how is the the geography of of the region? You are quite close to the mountains. How much there is hills in in the city? We are lucky because it's a flat city. Even if we have a lot of mountains around, it's a flat city. It's one of the flattest cities in France, and that's why uh, a lot of people say that there's it is a really bikeable city because already we have a lot of uh, bicycle lanes. And because it's flat, we we don't really need to do a lot of effort for taking our bike and biking uh, wherever. 
Mm. And and you probably know the the Copenhagen study where they have been following bike use and public transport use for I think three decades. So uh, how how do you see the Copenhagen comparing to to your region? I I don't re- I'm not really familiarized with these studies. So um, uh, yeah I, yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think the the Copenhagen study. I'm I haven't read it too too well either, but I think it says that the I think the main point that if you just build the infrastructure for biking and for public transport, that you you create possibilities, people will start to use it. I think it's been shown that during three decades the bike use has been increasing steadily and it's it's in a really high level now that it's just I, th- i think the main point is that when people have the possibility to use bike in a long run they will actually start also to use it okay um i have some uh, some opinions about this because um it's the same when we talk that some cities have uh, free transport There are some some cities here in France that have free transport, so you can take it where, whenever uh, you want. But that doesn't really mean that everyone and car users will take new transports. So you can change the environment, you can do, uh, you can make more accessible transport. But that doesn't mean necessarily that everyone and most probably um, car user will take these new modes and that's what we have seen in a study here in uh, in France that the people that started use uh, using uh, this uh, free transport was the old bikers so uh, car users were still taking their cars and the people trying to take uh, new new modes of transport were the same that were trying older different other transports than car mm. And and how how do you expect the results to be that you you are providing free public transport, uh, probably for people who are well off? Probably for them, it it doesn't make a big incentive because they probably have anyway enough money to use the public transport. But for people with with less money, it might might be a, uh, make a difference. How how do you see this aspect? Um, I think, yeah, it's it's completely right that for people not having the resources, it will be amazing to have now access to, to public transport or to bike. But at the same time that this uh, free transport, this free bike could uh, might help uh, uh, this economic factor, it might help to change habits. Because now that you have your free transport, maybe you never have be, have it tried before, and now you have free access. So you will try, and you will say, "Oh, it's not that bad," or you will take a bike and you will try it. And because you're trying, because you're cha- changing your habits, because you're changing your context, so you will have more tendency to try a new uh, this new method that someone else is offering you. Yeah, I I agree. That makes sense. Actually, my my colleague. His, his name is Arto Pesola. He's having a he's doing a project now. There's one one city in Finland where they they give a free public transport for young people, and then there was quite a bit of discussion that will it actually decrease the physical activity of the young people because now they don't need to walk or cycle that they can use the public transport, and the other people were saying that. 
now they can actually go to all the hobbies because they have possibilities that otherwise the the parents would have been needed to take them to those hobbies and and now they are comparing two different cities and it's it's somehow quite similar setup that they are they are having accelerometers and gps so you might might find uh, some some interesting uh things with with Arto I can I can give his email to you so it's quite similar study setup in in a way Oh yes it will be really interesting because I was not aware of this uh, study but of course it will be interesting to see how how it changes I've even follow them here when they will have access to car if they will choose to to keep public transport or to go and take their cars mm. yeah this podcast is sponsored by Fibian. Fibian is an accurate sitting and physical activity tracking device and analysis platform. It is a great tool for projects that aim for behavior change in sedentary behavior and incidental physical activity. Fibian provides easy-to-understand PDF and web browser reports for participants. Other features include comparisons to recommendations, linking results to health risks, achievement cards, and interactive goal-setting tool. In addition, Fibian provides an API that allows for easy integration to other systems and applications. Learn more about Fibian at fibian.com research. Fibian. From researchers to researchers. And and how how is it working? You said that you have really interdisciplinary team. How is it working with people from totally different fields of science? How 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 does it work? So just for giving you an idea, we are we come from like at ten least uh, at least uh, ten labs, and we have like biologists, we have epidemiologists, uh, geographers, sociologists, uh, economists, uh, psychologists. And we have a lot of uh, different fields from different sciences, mainly from different approaches. Because already uh, I'm working, one of my thesis directors is a geographer, and already understanding which methods they they use to collect data that didn't resemble to the methods in psychology is really challenging because you need to be really open open mind to to work with different people from different uh, fields and at the same time you need to understand what what, uh, what they are using why they use these methods and maybe you don't agree you say that it it can it can do the things more complicated for analyzing it but uh, i think it's challenging but at the same time it's really really interesting because you learn a lot of things and sometimes you say, oh, yeah, we should do that in psychology. It would be interesting to have these approaches or we, we would need to understand the, the behavior like this and not just like this. So at the same time, it's challenging, but it's really, really interesting. Mm, yeah, I, I think it's quite rare to have such an interdisciplinary team. How, how did this project get, get started that it became what it is now? So it was born uh, four or five years ago. Um, it was the idea of an economist and an epidemiologist. And they started this consortium. And they started uh, calling other people because the, the, the principal idea of the whole project is to reduce uh, air pollution. 
So they were aware of the high levels of pollution here in Grenoble, and they said, where, where, uh, which are the, fir- the principal sources of pollution? Of course, transport and heating. That is the second uh, important aspect of, of the research. And they start calling other uh, other people that could work in the same uh, project, and that's how they found like chemi- uh, people from chemistry, people from from physics and from psychology to better understand how we can change, uh, how we can reduce air pollution from different teams, from different approaches, starting from the behavioral part, finishing with the political part, how we can advise new politics, new policies for uh, reducing air pollution. Hmm. And and probably the local government is quite involved. How how did how are they involved, and when did they came along with the project? Yeah, they um, they are pretty happy to to work with us. But uh, like I said, it was it was born in the university from the labs. Then we went to propose this uh, propose to collaborate with the local government. And they, for example, they accepted to pay all the free transportation and the free access to bikes to to our participants. So uh, the, it, it's the government, the local government, that will pay this. And at the same time, we have a lot of meetings with them. We discuss which are their approaches or their points of view of what we are doing. So they are quite involved working with us. They are part of, of the team. And we have uh, like each three months, we have meetings with them. Mm. Yeah, it, it sounds like really, really nice project. How how do you expect? Do you think you can actually with this this project? Do you think you will you will get good results that you can change actually change the behavior of people? Yeah, I would like to believe that yes, we can change uh, behavior because um, I was uh, I was responsible of creating the, the behavior intervention and I tried to do my best for doing a an evidence and theoretical based uh, uh, intervention. So I, I based in literature, I based in, I, I, I work on uh, last experiences in other countries, in other cities. So I really believe that, that we could change people. But at the same time, I'm, I'm aware that there will be limitations that are really complicated to, to change, like uh, familiar, uh, familiar constraints or, or even physical constraints for people not living uh, near from their works or from their schools. So I am aware of these limitations, but I think that uh, because of the sense of using uh, evidence and theoretic-based uh, uh, approaches, uh, we we can actually change behavior and we can actually help people to, to change and to adopt uh, new, method, new modes of transport. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think behavior change in general is is really really challenging because usually people have have been doing the same way before for a very long time and it's it's difficult and and you try to change the motivation and and habit what do you see as the the most crucial parts for for succeeding um so talking about uh Transport. Transport is a le- uh, uh, the most important part of transport is habit because it's something that we just do. We don't really think about it. We are not going to look outside and say, "Oh, today it's sunny, so maybe I don't need to talk, uh, to take my car. I, I could uh, walk to my work." Sometimes we just take our cars and we are already uh, driving. So what we're trying to help is people to change their habits, to adopt new habits. 
and uh, it's it's one of the important uh, the most important parts but at the same time for changing your habit you already need to be motivated because changing habits is forceful uh, and uh, you need to you need to be a little bit motivated to start changing your habits. So the most important things are, because we're already working with people that want to change their behavior. So at least they have the intention of changing, but most of them, they don't know how to start changing. So this is one of our um, requirements for people to participate in our study. Mm. And and what kind of strategies you have for the happy chains how do you how do you approach this this problem so we are using a really classical methods like implementation intention implementation so the the people could create a, a habitual link between if then if it's sunny i take my then i take my bike or if i don't need to chain a lot of travels i take my bike so we are trying to create a habit uh, creating this uh, logical uh, action-reaction uh, if-then. We also propose the people and ask the people to, to have clear uh, objective of their change. So they need to say how, when, uh, how, when uh, they are going to change. So if every Monday I will take my bike uh, to go to my work, I will go, I will go to my work, uh, my job at 8 a.m., so we are we are using principally these uh, principally these uh, techniques, and the idea is that people will need to repeat this each week after week, and they and maybe they can adapt their their schedules or their their modes, but they will try to to do it the same thing they week after week, and maybe like that they will try to to create a, a habit, and at the same time we we will help them to try to uh, to know how to uh, how to deal with obstacles so if it's raining maybe i will take my bike but i will take uh, transport so or if i have a i have a meeting really 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 early i will try something else that taking my, my car so we are trying to create real uh, concrete objectives uh, to using impl intention implementation and to prevent uh, future obstacles of changing of uh, changing from car to other modes of transport. Mm, yeah, sounds like a like a good approach. This podcast is sponsored by Fibion. Uh, my name is Dr. Paul Batman, and I'd like to just say a few words about Fibion. Um, I've used it a number of times on different projects that I've been involved in, and find that it's incredibly reliable very valid and incredibly sturdy. I love the graphics that come with it. It really is very clear and can easily see the active in and active periods as well. So I'd certainly recommend Fibion to anyone that's interested in finding out more about sedentary behaviour, particularly the concept of sitting and how we can possibly break it up with some really good valid information. And if I go a little bit back, you said that our participants already have the motivation. So do you only take people who, who want to change their behavior? Yeah. So we base for, for choosing our participants. So we have some requirements for people to participate. We already asked habitual car users. So they need to use their car at least four days per, per week. Uh, they need to be between 18 and uh, in, uh, between at least 18 years old 
and they at least need to have the intention of changing because when you are targeting um, behavior, mobility behavior change on, in general uh, change, uh, you don't use the same tools or the same strategies for people that have already developed their intention that for people that uh, doesn't want that do don't want at all to change. So for people that already have the intention, the, the best methods are these ones like uh, creating uh, concrete objectives, like knowing how to start the action. And for the people that don't really start thinking about it, maybe you you need to talk about the the health consequences, what they will they will win if they start taking new method, new modes of transport, or what what they are losing if they are taking their car all the time. So we decided to use uh, just people to to have only people in with intention for uh, targeting the good strategies to to help them to change. Mm, yeah, I I see. So how how many people you think how many percentage of people of the region actually have the motivation? Because if you if you are able to change the people who have the motivation, but there's a very small percentage, it it won't change much the situation. So do you have any statistics about how many people would like to change? Yeah, so uh, our geographers um, analyzed the data of the last um, survey on household travel. And we discovered that there were different profile of car drivers. There were some profile, some car drivers that are open to all modes. So they, they don't especially love driving. They could try other, like, 34% of the population here where we live are car drivers open to all modes. There are some other car drivers that will just prefer to have uh, to use individual modes, 27, uh, 27%. There is only 15% of the people that say, no, I just want to use my car. I don't want to use anything else. And uh, so we already have, we, we, we could know, we know that at least 70% of the population might try other modes of transport. I would like to try other modes of transport. So I think we, we can actually have a lot of people trying or wanting to change their travel behavior. Mm. So actually quite high percentage have some sort of motivation to change. It's, I'm actually quite surprised that it's so high. Do you think it's because it's the the congestion, traffic jams, or why why do so many people want to change? Uh, yeah, but it's actually a big problem here. There are a lot of traffic jams. So you can be stuck for, for thirty minutes or forty five minutes here in Grenoble. There are a lot of cars in the center of the city. But at the same time, I think that um, it could be maybe the environmental part. Some people will say, oh, yes, I know I'm polluting when I'm using my car. Maybe I would like to do something for the planet. And other people that say that maybe they, they already know that they, they, they are being sedentary when they are taking their car. They could move more if they take other mode of transport. So I think there, there are many, many, many uh, reasons for changing their, uh, their mode of transport. And about that, there is my, my colleagues and the economists are doing a study about that. If the most important is the a public health, so if I change of mode is because I'm interested in really in reducing my my the pollution that I produce, or if it's more about the price because it would be it is cheaper to take this more mode or or this other mode, 
or finally if it's uh, mostly about their own health if i know that i'm uh, um, winning more years of life or i am improving my my health uh, i would prefer to change of mode so my my colleagues in economy in economy are doing a study about it Mm, yeah, so you you told about what the economists are doing, but you also have a lot of different fields. Could you tell a little bit about what kind of things the other other fields are looking in in this project? Yeah, so we like I told you before, we try, we work with uh, physicists and uh, with uh, people working in, in chemistry. So we would like to know if doing this will improve air quality in the region. Or in the neighborhoods. That's why also we have this uh, this uh, air pollution captors, so we can see it in the individual scale. See if for this person, it this person is less exposed to air pollution, and if this change in this person of um, two hundred people will change the the quality of the air in the city or in their neighborhoods. So that's what what they why they're interested in our study and why we are working together. At the same time, we would like to know if their health in general will will improve. So it, that's why the epidemiologists are working with us because we would like to to know what happens and how and the same for us. What uh, if uh, physical activity is improved during the the new transports and how health in the region will improve if we if we arrive to if we succeed to change uh, the mobility behavior mm. and and what do you think if you if you get good results in the project do you see that you could use the same approach in in different cities in France and how how easy do you think it would be actually to implement this in in different cities I think we will, of course, need to adapt it because what we have uh, here is a, a, a flat place where there are a lot of possibilities. Public transport is quite good here and the same for uh, bicycle lanes. So we will need to be aware of uh, the reality of each city. But at least I think one part of the study could be repeated, could be done uh, so, somewhere else. And I think it could be it could be a good lesson for for government and for politicians to see that helping people to have an access to transport and helping them using behavioral behavior change could might actually really change behavior mobility behavior. Mm, yeah, it's it is it is important work that you're doing also from the from the global and from the globe's perspective. Mm. We we have now discussed your project related to coronavirus and the physical activity during uh, during this and and about sustainable commute. Is there something you would like to add to this topic, or is there other topics you would like to bring into into discussion? Um, I think uh, the thing that, that I, I would like to discuss that working more in interdisciplinary teams will help a, a lot to better understand the, the, the actual problems in the world. And it, it actually really changed how I think about the mobility. Because if I was just reading in psychology, I would, I would just think that people don't want to change because they, have, they don't have enough motivation or they don't have, they don't know how to pass from intention to action. But now I actually know that there are other constraints to people, that there are some uh, 
uh, socio-economical constraints or even physical or environmental uh, problems to that um, that doesn't allow us to change. So I think uh, it's really, really important to start working with other people from other fields, for learning from them and from teaching them also what we do in, in psychology. And I think it will be really interesting to see more. Pro I know there are other projects like this one in other countries, like in Canada, for example. And I think it's it's amazing to have this, uh, this kind of projects uh, because you learn a lot as a researcher or as a PhD student. And at the same time, you have a really big uh, overview of the problem. And I think that's how we really change. Uh, we could really change uh, a lot of things in the world. Mm, yeah, I, I, I really agree with that. And I think it's in general in research, we are specializing so much that, you know, some people are looking at one molecule within the cell and and they don't really see much other things like and and this how you approach from all different fields i think it's really really good point that you you bring up so i think we closing our time limit what would be your final remarks for this this very interesting episode uh, so i would advise everyone to start using a bike and walking and even taking public transport because uh, we have been. We have seen that uh, it could help our, uh, a lot to, to improve our physical activity, and at the same time, we are protecting our planet. And in Spanish, we say "kill two birds with one stone." And I will say the same thing. At the same time, that are protect uh, that we are protecting ourselves, we are protecting our planet. So, I will I will advise everyone to start using sustainable mobility and active mobility. It, it will be nice for ourselves and for the world too. Yeah, I I agree. And in Spanish, you say that two birds with one stone. In in Finnish language, we have that you you catch two flies with one one shot or one strike. So okay. <laughs> almost same. I'm not sure which is more more difficult but uh thank you claudia it was it was a very nice and interesting discussions with you and it was really interesting to hear about this this important and very relevant work you doing so thank you for taking the time for this podcast thank you very much thanks for joining us this week on physical activity research podcast if you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you use. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be great help for us we have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes so be sure to tune in thank you all for your support and have a great day this podcast is sponsored by fibian get scientific validation and learn more about fibian at fibian.com research the physical activity researcher podcast has created an activity tracker purchase guide for researchers Get your free copy from the link in the podcast description. Thank you for listening to the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast.